Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 2. Our text today is going to be Daniel chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 31 through 49. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can find our passage this morning in the Black Pew Bible uh, in front of you on page 738. Page 738. Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 through 49. This is really part two of the sermon that we began uh, exactly three months ago, actually. Uh, three months ago, we looked at the first part of this chapter, and so now we're going to look uh, at the last half of the chapter. So uh, if you found your way there, I would like to invite you one more time, if you're able, uh, to stand with me uh, as I read for us God's holy and inspired and inerrant word. God's word says, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, and its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, and its legs of iron, and its feet partially of iron and partially of clay. And as you looked, a stone cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. And then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain, and it filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king of its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hands he has given wherever they dwell the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. But another kingdom, inferior to you, shall arise after you. And yet a third kingdom of bronze shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And you saw the feet and the toes, partially of potter's clay and partially of iron, shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay. And the toes of the feet were partially iron and partially clay, so the kingdom shall be partially strong and partially brittle. And as you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces 
all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that stone that was cut from a mountain by no human hand and broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. And the king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him to rule over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. So Daniel made a request to the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the provinces of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Let's pray together. Lord, truly you are the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the king of kings. You are the revealer of mysteries, and just as your word said long ago and many times and in many ways, you spoke through the prophets. You spoke through prophets just like Daniel. But today, you speak to us through your son and through his word. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to us now and that you would help us to listen, to hear, and to obey all that your word commands us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So last time we were together around the book of Daniel, we left off in the middle of a story about Nebuchadnezzar's troubling dream. Now you remember this dream had caused Nebuchadnezzar all kinds of trouble and angst in his mind. He, he couldn't sleep because this dream haunted him. And so he gathered all of his wise men together and he commanded them to tell them the content of the dream and the dream's interpretation. And he said that if they successfully met the king's demands, uh, these wise men would be rewarded beyond measure. But if they failed to meet the king's demand, Nebuchadnezzar would have them torn limb from limb and have their houses laid to ruins. After a couple of attempts to, to reason with the king, the wise men finally said to King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2, verse 11, the thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So Nebuchadnezzar, just absolutely infuriated by their incompetence, he orders that all the wise men of Babylon, the enchanters, the magicians, and so on, are to be brutally murdered, including these four young Hebrew men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But we were reminded that God had gifted Daniel with the ability to interpret dreams and visions. And so Daniel, after a very careful response and after much prayer, stands before the king, and in verse 27 and 28, he says, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or astrologer can show the king the mystery that the king has asked, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in latter days. 
And so the text that we just read was the interpretation and the content of that dream that God had revealed to Daniel. So Daniel stands before the king and makes known to the king both his dream and the interpretation. And just as Daniel said, what God was revealing King Nebuchadnezzar was what was going to happen in the future, what was going to happen in latter days. Now, I want to say one thing before we start that I think is really important about this kind of scripture passage. This passage is uh, obviously a prophecy. It's obviously apocalyptic. And that is the kind of literature in the Bible that we find that gives us insight into future events. It's as if God, through his prophet, kind of peels back the curtain of history and gives us a glimpse from a heavenly point of view about earthly events. Now, this type of literature, we can get really excited about this kind of stuff, and I can already see it in some of your eyes. Right, We can get really excited about these kinds of things, but I want us to understand that God doesn't give us this kind of literature in order for us to understand his future plans in perfect detail and clarity. Okay, God gives us this kind of literature to give his people certain hope and solid assurance that despite the way current affairs may seem, God still sits on the throne. And our present and our futures are securely held in his hands. So I'm not going to answer every question that you have about the identity of the feet and the toes and these other kingdoms, right? But what I hope you walk away with is an encouragement that by the truths this passage holds out to us, that we are strangers in a strange land, but we do have a certain hope and future in God's coming kingdom. So let me remind us really quick before we jump in of the main idea and the main purpose of the book of Daniel. And it's the main idea and the main purpose of this passage in particular as well. You see there in your notes, God is in control, even in the most difficult circumstances, sustaining his followers' faith. That's the main idea that is woven all throughout the book of Daniel. And the main purpose, what what the book of Daniel is trying to get us to do, is it's encouraging believers to live faithfully as citizens in God's kingdom. We live faithfully as citizens of God's kingdom. I hope you see both of those things woven throughout our passage this morning. So with that in mind, I've got three points this morning, three three things I want us to pull out of this story, this vision, and the interpretation of this vision that God gave to Daniel. The first thing you see there in your notes is that the kingdoms of man will crumble into nothing. The kingdoms of man will crumble into nothing. Daniel begins describing the content of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. You can can see the description of the content uh, there in just the first few verses. It's actually a a pretty short summary. 
Daniel begins to describe this dream. The dream opens up like a movie, opening, panning the camera on this magnificent, terrifying statue. And so Daniel begins to describe how the statue looked, and we notice that he describes it there using four different words, four different descriptor, descriptors that he uses to describe this image. It's a great image. It's huge. It's gigantic. It is mighty and of exceeding brightness. And then he goes on to state that the image's appearance was frightening. It was a terrifying image. And so for this, from this big panoramic overview of the image, Daniel then begins to describe in more detail what Nebuchadnezzar saw. We notice that the image is made up of four different parts, and it's made up of five different materials. Daniel describes the image from the head, the top of the head, down to the bottom of the feet. And we notice that the materials in this image uh, is made also in descending order of value, but ascending order of hardness. So that's head is made of fine gold, uh, the most valuable of the materials, but also one of the softest. Its chest and arms are made of silver. Its trunk and its thighs are made out of bronze, and its legs and its feet are made out of this combination of iron and hard-baked clay. And then it's as if Daniel pans the camera away from this terrifying image and he sees a stone. This stone is the opposite of the image, where the image is huge and it's great and it's made up of all these different materials. The stone is relatively smaller in size and it's cut out of the side of a mountain. But you notice that Daniel says that this stone is cut out by no human hand. Whereas the image would have certainly had a builder, right? An artistic architect that, that put it together. This stone's builder is God himself. Then, in a surprising twist of the plot of the movie, this relatively small stone strikes the image at its base and it crumbles into dust. And I hope that you heard the echoes of Psalm 1 in the fate of that image. Those materials became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. And then in the final scene of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, this small stone that had ground the image into dust began to grow and grow and grow until it becomes a mighty mountain that fills the entire earth. That's the dream. That's the content of the dream. And then Daniel begins to tell good King Neb all that the dream meant. And so I want us to first focus on the meaning of the terrifying image. Okay, The meaning of the image from verses 38 through 43, we see that Daniel describes and interprets this image of the mighty kingdoms of man. He begins with Nebuchadnezzar as the head of fine gold, and then lesser kingdom and lesser kingdom and lesser kingdom follow after him. 
until finally that last kingdom is described as strong as iron and as brittle as a clay pot. All right. So I know what you're thinking. Who are the other three kingdoms? <laughs> Who, who's the silver and the bronze and who's the iron and the clay? And preachers and Bible scholars have spent a lot of time arguing who they think those future kingdoms are. But here's the simple fact that we know for certain. The Bible doesn't say. Daniel doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us. We can absolutely get lost in the weeds with that kind of debate, and we can absolutely miss the point that Daniel is making. It doesn't really matter who those other kingdoms are. Here's what matters, is they all have the same end. They all come to the same end. They all represent the kingdoms of man, and they all crumble into the dust, and like chaff, are driven away by the wind. Now, I want to notice two things that Daniel reveals to Nebuchadnezzar about the kingdoms of this world. Doesn't matter if it's Babylon, doesn't matter if it's Rome, doesn't matter if it's the United States of America. There are two things that Daniel teaches us about the kingdoms of this world. The first thing he teaches us is that whatever power, authority, and glory the kingdoms of man have, that has been given to them by God. Whatever power and authority and glory they have, whether it's the, the mightiest kingdom in the world or the least of the kingdoms of the world, all of that has been given to them by God. Look it down at verses 37 and 38. Daniel says, You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom and the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell the children of man and the beast of the field and the birds of the heavens. You notice here the, the similar language between what Daniel is saying about King Nebuchadnezzar's power and what God said about Adam's power in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. It's very, very similar language that God gives dominion over all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. And he, he tells Adam and Eve to, to have dominion over it. Here's the point that Daniel's making. Everything that King Nebuchadnezzar has, he didn't, he didn't take them by his own power. They were given to him by the God who sets up kings and who tears down kingdoms. So whatever power and authority and glory the kingdoms of man have, it's given to them by God. Secondly, whatever power and authority and glory the kingdoms of man has, it's all temporary. It's all fading. It's all going to pass. Now, I would imagine after Daniel said the words of verses 37 and 38, Nebuchadnezzar probably felt pretty good about himself. That's right, Daniel. I am the head of fine gold. I am the king of kings. I have the power and the might and the glory. I do have dominion over all the people and over all the creatures of the earth. But then it all comes crashing down with four little words. Another kingdom after you. Another kingdom after you. 
and then another, and then another, and then another, and then another. That's the story of history, isn't it? That's the story of our lives, isn't it? After us comes another, and then another, and then another, and then another. Every kingdom granted power and authority by God may begin with unparalleled glory and majesty and might and power. But they all end on the ash heap of history. Every one of them. So what does this have to do with us? Well, friends, I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes I feel like we live in pretty uncertain and unruly times. And for some of us, what we are seeing happen in our country, in our world, it's unsettling. And I think in these kinds of times, people, even Christians, sometimes especially Christians, we can look to the wrong places for hope. Friends, this passage speaks directly to us in our current circumstances and into our uncertain futures. And it teaches us not to be impressed by human political powers. It teaches us that no matter how shiny and strong the kingdoms of this world may seem, this vision reminds us that the final word does not belong to a new and improved statue of man. The final word of history belongs to the rock, not cut by human hands. And that brings us to point number two. The second thing I want us to see is that God's kingdom, God's eternal king, will prevail. God's eternal king will prevail. You notice there in verse 44, look at verse 44. Daniel goes on to describe this rock. He says, in the days of those kings, that is, in the days of those earthly kings and kingdoms, God is going to do something new. He's going to begin to set up an entirely different kind of kingdom. And this kingdom is God's kingdom. And it's described in five different ways in these verses. Okay, so I want to just briefly notice these five characteristics of God's kingdom that we find in these verses. First, this kingdom is God's creation. It's God's creation. We saw up in verse 34 that the rock was cut by no human hands, meaning it was carved out by the God of heaven. And then again, here in verse 44, we see Daniel saying that God is going to set up his kingdom. This is not a man-made kingdom. It's not formed by the dissolving of another kingdom that comes before it. This kingdom, God creates with his very hand. So it's God's creation. Secondly, it's an indestructible kingdom. Right? Daniel describes the kingdom in verse 44 saying, It shall never be destroyed, nor shall it be left to another people. So unlike the kingdoms of man, right, that that end on the ash heap of history, this kingdom will not be conquered. This kingdom will not be destroyed. That's the third thing. 
It is a conquering kingdom. It's a conquering kingdom. Just as the stone broke the image at its base and pulverized it into dust, so God's kingdom shall break in pieces all the kingdoms of the earth and bring them to an end. Did you notice Jesus' words in Luke chapter 20 as they were read earlier? That all the kingdoms of the earth that fall on the rock will be ground into dust. Right? So it's a conquering kingdom. Fourth, it's an eternal kingdom. God's kingdom will stand forever. It will have no end. Fifth and finally, it's a universal kingdom. A universal kingdom. Earthly kingdoms have boundaries and borders. And, and this is where God's kingdom is totally unlike the fourth kingdom that was described here. You notice that the fourth kingdom is described uh, as one that tries to mix with different peoples and tries to come together in marriage, but ultimately it won't hold together because iron and clay don't mix together. But unlike that fourth kingdom, God's kingdom will cover the entire earth, every people, nation, tribe, and tongue. It will be a kingdom without border. Just as the stone began small, that grew into a worldwide mountain, so God's kingdom will be comprised of a people from every tribe and tongue and nation gathered together in unity under the lordship of God's eternal king. Now the question that you may be asking now, and it's the question that you should be asking, is who is this king? Who is the stone carved out not by human hands. Who cares about the identity of the silver and the bronze and the iron and the clay? I want to know who the rock is. And friends, that is a question that we can answer. That is a question that the Bible speaks to. Because 2,000 years ago, while the nations were raging and the peoples were plotting in vain, and kings were battling for authority and glory over other kings in a little podunk redneck town called Nazareth. An angel appeared to a young girl named Mary. And here's what he said. He said, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. In other words, what that angel Gabriel was saying is here comes the stone not carved out by human hands. Here comes the rock of ages. Here comes the stone that the builder rejected, but that God was going to use to be the cornerstone of his eternal kingdom. And his name is Jesus. And friends, Jesus came and he lived a perfect life 
that you and I could never live, as hard as we may try. And he died on the cross, taking our sin and our judgment that we deserve because of our sin, and he rose again victorious over the grave. And this stone that the builders has rejected has been given a name, and his name is Jesus. And God's word says that that name is above every name, and that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So friends, the question for you is, will you bow your knee to Jesus? Is he your king? You will one day bow your knee to Christ. It'll either be in joyful submission and worship, or it'll be bowed in judgment. God's kingdom is growing. It's growing into a mountain through the preaching of the gospel throughout the world. And friends, that's where we live right now. God's king has come. He has given his people their marching orders. And that brings us to the last point, point number three. Live faithfully as you wait for God's king. Live faithfully as you wait for God's king. I don't know about you. I am not good at waiting. <laughs> I, I, I can't, I am oftentimes not a very patient person. Just like most of us in the world today, when we want something, we want it now. But friends, that is not what the Lord God has called us to as his people. He's called us to wait and to wait faithfully for him. But what does waiting look like? part of the reason why we don't like to wait is because we don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to do when I don't have anything to do. I, I'm not good at that kind of thing. But God has given us some things to do while we wait. So let's, let's look at some of these. And we see these here in this text with Daniel. All right, so to close out this last point, I'll, I want to make just a few observations from these last few verses about how Nebuchadnezzar responds and how Daniel responds to this dream and its interpretation. And I think these observations are good for us to consider as we, like Daniel, live as strangers in this strange land, as we wait for the coming king. So I want to give us four quick observations and applications for us as we wait for King Jesus to come to set up his kingdom. The first thing is this. As you wait, listen to God's word. As you wait, listen to God's word. You notice that Nebuchadnezzar's immediate response, it's, it's weird, it's interesting. Uh, he, he doesn't offer praise to God. Who does he offer praise to? He offered praise to Daniel. That, that's kind of weird. It's kind of backwards. He, he falls down and pays homage to Daniel, and then he commands those around him to bring sacrifices and offerings to be made to, to Daniel, and then, only then, does Nebuchadnezzar confess, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. God had spoken to Nebuchadnezzar in his dream, and through Daniel, the interpretation of that dream. And Daniel was saying, Nebuchadnezzar, you need to listen to God. Listen to God. Now, how does God speak to us today? Right? Well, the answer to that is found in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. It says, long ago, 
many times and in many ways, sometimes through dreams and sometimes through visions and different things, right? God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Friend, God is still speaking today. He is still offering comfort and peace and hope and salvation to his people today. But now he speaks through the scriptures. He speaks through the Bible. So let me ask you this morning, are you listening to God's word? Do you spend time in it? When you feel the weight of the world on your shoulders, do you pick up your Bibles and listen to him? When the world around you seems so foreign, do you put your hope and trust in the evening news report? Or do you put your hope and trust in the word of God? If we as Christians should listen to God, we should listen to him. Part of listening is hearing, believing, obeying, repenting of sin, trusting in Jesus. Friends, while you wait, listen to God. Secondly, while you wait, don't buy into the if-onlys. While you wait, don't buy into the if-onlys. Do you know what I mean by that? You ever get a case of the if-onlys, right? Daniel could have said, if only King Nebuchadnezzar would hurry up and bite the dust, (laughs) then God would set his kingdom up. We could really be at peace. If only my boss gave me that raise that he promised me years ago, everything would be okay. I could be at peace. If only we could vote the right guy into office. If only. Friends, don't buy into the if onlys. Right? One commentator said, the only true security is in the kingdom of the carpenter's son. Don't buy into the if onlys. Third, While you wait, faithfully proclaim God's coming kingdom. While you wait, faithfully proclaim God's coming kingdom. I hope that over the last two sermons in chapter 2, you've noticed Daniel's boldness to proclaim God's message to the king. It took a lot of guts to do what Daniel did, and we'll see that same boldness on display uh, as the story progresses. But I think Daniel's example here is one for us to follow. You know, Jesus has given us the gospel message to proclaim throughout the whole earth until he comes again. And sharing that message will take boldness on our part. I think about the early church in the book of Acts. We should be praying for that same boldness to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So while you wait, faithfully proclaim God's kingdom. Lastly, finally, while you wait, Serve faithfully where God has planted you. While you wait, serve faithfully where God has planted you. I'm sure you've heard the old saying. I remember it when I was growing up. Uh, My pastors, my parents, bloom where you're planted. (laughs) Wherever you're planted, bloom and blossom there. And I think that's a word for us today from Daniel chapter 2. You remember that Nebuchadnezzar promised that 
if somebody would tell him the content of his dream and its interpretation that he would bless them beyond measure. And Nebuchadnezzar did just as he promised. When Daniel successfully told the king his dream, he promoted Daniel to the chief prefect and made him to rule over all of Babylon. Daniel was blessed by God with power and position from that point forward. And we see uh, that Daniel also promotes his friends right, to look over the affairs of Babylon. And this reminds me of another prophet who spoke during Daniel's day, contemporary of Daniel, prophet by the name of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, the prophet Jeremiah speaks to the people of Israel as they go into Babylon to be exiled there. And he says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For its welfare, you will find your welfare. He tells them to go on and to plant gardens and to eat the produce of their gardens, to have sons and daughters, to give their sons and daughters in marriage, to increase in number and not decrease. In essence, what God said through the prophet Jeremiah to the people as they're in Babylon, he says, work hard at whatever task has been given to you and prosper there. Friends, that's what God wants you and me to do as well. He wants us to work hard for the welfare of our community. Whatever your occupation is, whatever task it is that God has given you to do while you live in this fading kingdom, we're to work hard at it as we wait for Christ to return. And while we work, we know that we're working for a king and for a kingdom that is coming that will have no end. While we work, we know that it's a citizen of God's kingdom. We have the assurance of God's word that his kingdom is coming and his kingdom will prevail. So let me ask you this morning, to which kingdom do you belong? Where's your citizenship? Are your eyes fixed on the fading kingdoms of this world? Or are your eyes fixed on Jesus and his eternal kingdom? Let's pray together.